the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Let Us Reason, a Christian-Muslim dialogue with host Al Fadi. Let Us Reason is a unique show utilizing theology, apologetics, and evangelism to reach Muslims for Christ by comparing and contrasting Christian and Muslim doctrines. And now, your host, Al Fadi. Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, thank you for joining us again on another episode of Let Us Reason. I'm your host, Al Fadi. And, uh, um, you know, hopefully, uh, if you have been at least uh, tracking with us in the last few weeks, maybe even from the beginning of uh, the launch of this series, that you've been blessed by uh, the different topics we address. And uh, specifically, I'm talking about the series that started about three months ago, give or take, with my brother, Sam Shamoun. And uh, I've been receiving a lot of uh, positive feedback from people. Uh, who've been uh, really paying attention to the detailed information in a classical Shamaonian, uh, basically, uh, approach. And uh, we're always thankful that our dear brother here uh, makes time for us. Uh, That's his heart, uh, to serve the Lord. And uh, Muslims think he is an enemy of Islam. He's an enemy of Islam, but uh, someone who loves Muslims. That's why he does why he does. So, brother, thank you so much for joining us again. It's my privilege and honor to be here to serve you for the sake of the Lord Jesus. So thank you for having me. Amen. And last week, brother, we talked about uh, the title, uh, Word of Allah, or Word of God, as it relates to Jesus in the Quran, surprisingly, and of course in chapter 4, verse 171, and you addressed it uh, in terms of its implication as it relates to the divinity of Christ. Why don't you uh, pick it up from here, brother? Yes. Praise be to God, the Father, of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we ask the Father for His richest blessings on us, to speak truth without error, to speak it clearly for the glory of Christ, for the building up of the Church, and that Muslims get convicted in the power of the Holy Spirit to turn to Jesus, their only hope of salvation, in Jesus' name. I always have to invoke the Father, because everything good is from Him. Yeah, as, as where we left off in the previous show, we were talking about how, when Muhammad was confronted with these very titles that he ascribed to Jesus, by a group of Arabs, Arab Christians from the Jiran, <clears throat> when they pretty much said, look, you admit Jesus is the Word of God, and you admit he's the Spirit of God, what's left, Muhammad? If he's the Word of God, Spirit of God, then he originates from God, not from creation. Muhammad's response was, chapter 3, verse 7. Again, I don't want your readers, I'm sorry, your audience, I'm so used to writing, I speak of readers, your audience to take my word for it. Look at any commentary by the classical commentators on chapter 3, specifically verse 7, like Ibn Kathir, and they'll tell you that the first 80 verses approximately were composed to respond to the objections of the Christians. And in chapter 3, verse 7, here was Muhammad's answer. The Quran contains two types of verses, two sets of verses. The clear verses, their meanings are clear, they're unambiguous, they're self-explanatory. Focus on them. Another set of verses are unclear, they're ambiguous, no one knows their meaning except God, 
and only those who are diseased at heart will want to focus on the unclear passage. But this is what Mama said. Thank you, saying to the Christian there. Yeah, you got a good point. Because if Jesus is God's Word, then yeah, God's Word is eternal and divine, because it originates from God, then that would seem to suggest Jesus is divine and eternal, and that he is an essential part of God, his very being. But, of course, that can't mean that, because I've already said, Muhammad, uh, that Jesus is just a servant of God. So don't focus on those verses, and if you do, then that's proof you have disease in your heart. This is basically his response, which we know is a response that shows that Muhammad got caught. All this time, he is taking Christian terminology, ascribing to Jesus specific titles and functions that he's hearing from the Christians, and not realizing the implication of these titles and functions, making it part of his religion, a religion that denies essentially the deity of Christ in one breath, in order to get Christians to consider his message seriously, and yet it now backfires against him and shows that he cannot be from God and cannot be a true prophet. And so now he has to go into damage control and stay faith, so he comes up with chapter 3, verse 7. Those are unclear passages. Stay away from them. Which is a lesson for Muslims, by the way. Muslims cannot tell you what the title Word of God means because even Muhammad did not know. So when they tell you this is what it means, they're going above and beyond Muhammad, which means they know more than their prophet. If they do, they need to stop being Muslim. Now let me have another point on this real quick because I want to go back to the titles of these. What's interesting about chapter 3, verse 7, that this verse itself is unclear. Because you and I both know that the Arabic text of the Quran was a continental text that didn't have vowel signs and didn't have specific punctuation. So you have to determine where one part of a sentence ends and another begins. Now, am I correct? I just want you to confirm that for your, for your audience. Absolutely, absolutely. <clears throat> so there was a continental text, no punctuation, no vowel marks. Because of that, chapter 3, verse 7, you actually find it read and recited in two different ways. Here, let me explain what I mean. The part where it says this, As for those in whose heart is dwarfing disease, they follow the ambiguous part desiring dissension and desiring its interpretation. And none know its interpretation save only God, period. So that sentence ends. And those firmly rooted in knowledge say we believe in it. All is from our Lord. According to Muslims like Ibn Kathir, there's two ways to read that part. And none know its interpretation save only God and those firmly rooted in knowledge, period. In other words, this passage is saying either only God knows or God and those who are knowledgeable know. Say then, you will believe, we believe in all of it. So even this passage, which is supposed to bring clarity to the situation, is itself unclear and unambiguous. Can you believe that? Yep, and, and, and that's kind of interesting, by the way. It's really damaging. And, and here is in Arabic, it says, uh, meaning stop right here, only Allah, or there is the wow here, meaning the learned ones. It's really damaging, by the way. You know why? If Muhammad didn't know the answer to this, that means he's saying, meaning the learned ones know more than me about uh, the Quran and what Allah meant. <laughs> so you see, the Quran, which is supposed to be a miracle and supposed to be clear guidance, is a book of confusion. It is unintelligible, incoherent, and even the most learned of scholars cannot agree on the precise meaning of much of it. And you know this as, I, as well as I do. You 
you look at any commentary, and you'll you'll be given three to four, if not more, possible interpretations of any any given verse. Now, why is that? If the Quran is a clear message that contains clear guidance, in actuality, it's the book of misguidance. So this passage is a nightmare on several grounds. But again, I want to repeat: this passage tells Muslims you cannot know and cannot tell us what Jesus, being the Word of God, means. So you need to come to us. So I want to attack the implication. Since the Quran does agree with Christians, and basically the Gospel of John, that Jesus is God's Word, we need to impact its meaning. Because even Christians, although they use the title, they may not understand what it means. John 1.18 pretty much tells us what it means that Jesus is the Word of God. Now, if you read verses 1 to 18, you'll be told that in the beginning was the Word. That's our Lord in its pre-human existence. And the Word was with God, meaning in communion and fellowship with God the Father. And the Word was God, meaning the Word's nature is the nature of God. He was with God in the beginning. Now here's what's interesting. All things were made by Him. Nothing has been made without Him that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was white of men. So right here, see who Jesus is. And the Muslims agree. Allah, God, used His Word to create everything. He spoke to the entire creation into being from nothing. Well, according to John, that word that God used to create everything is none other than Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is that word that existed with God and fellowship with God and whom God used to make everything. So Christ as the word is our creator. And the Muslims have to admit that God's word creates. God's word creates. So the word of Allah creates. So the word of Allah is creator. But here, the Bible, which the Quran agrees, identifies that word as Jesus Christ. Amen. So Jesus as the Lord is the Creator. That's number one. Number two, you use your word, I use my word, to reveal and communicate. In other words, if you want to know who I am, I have to communicate to you. I have to reveal that to you. And, into, and to have a relationship with you, I have to communicate. I have to speak. Jesus is God's Word in that Jesus is God's communication to us and revelation. If we want to know God, we have to hear His Word. But that Word that God speaks to make Himself known is Jesus Christ. This is why Jesus says, if you go to Matthew eleven twenty-seven, He says, All things have been committed to me by my Father. Matthew eleven twenty-seven. No one knows the Son except the Father. No one knows the Father except the Son and to those to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. So here the Lord says, You want to know the Father? You have to know me. Because I alone, by the Spirit, can make God known to you. This is also confirmed in John 1.18. In John 1.18 it says, No one has seen God at any time. Now, let me explain what seen here means. If you go back and look at the original language, Torao, it can mean see with the eye. But it can also mean see with the mind's eye with the mind, perceive, right? It's like when you make the point, I say, oh, I see your point. What does it mean, I see your point? I see what you're saying. It means I understand and I perceive. See with the mind's eye. In that context, it's not saying no one has seen God visibly. That's another issue. What it's saying is no one has understood, known God as he is. And then it says, no one has seen God any time, but God, the only begotten Son, the one and only, who is in the bosom of the Father, he has revealed him. Right there, that word tells you that here, by seeing, it doesn't mean see with the eye, it means to comprehend. The Son of God, who originates, who 
come forth from the very bosom of the Father, from the very heart of the Father, he has come to reveal God, to make God known to us. Literally so exegeted he, God to us. You got it. The Greek word is, is the very word where we get the word exegesis. Exegesis is what we Christians use when we speak of explaining, interpreting the Bible correctly. So Jesus is the interpretation, the explanation of God, who he is, what he's like. So when the Quran says Jesus is God's word, inadvertently Muhammad is confirming two things. Jesus is the agent of creation, so God used his word to create, and Jesus is God's self-revelation. The only perfect expression, revelation of God, in human form has been Jesus. And by admitting that he's God's word, the Quran is basically affirming three important truths about Jesus. Number one, he's eternal, because God's word is eternal and inseparable from him. Number two, he is the creator, the agent of creation. And number three, he is God's self-expression, the perfect expression, perfect representation, perfect image of God in the flesh, because John says the word didn't remain simply with God, the word then became flesh, which the Quran agrees, because in chapter 4, verse 171 of the Quran, it says, Jesus is God's word that he cast down to Mary, and he came from Allah as a spirit to Mary, for what purpose? To become flesh. So the Quran is affirming all of these things, even though it wasn't Muhammad's intention to do so. You see the problem? Amen. Amen. So, with that said, with that said, the Muslims are now faced with the dilemma. How can you, in one breath, admit that Jesus is the Messiah, the word from Allah, that he can sound to Mary, and a spirit from him, and yet deny that Jesus is eternally God, one with the Father in essence, an essential part, aspect of God's being, and not part of creation? Because you can't have your cake and eat it too. If you're going to affirm all these titles, then you're stuck. You're going to have to now acknowledge the deity of Christ, that he is essentially God, one with the Father who became flesh. So you're going to have to affirm that he's the God-man. And if he's the God-man, the perfect revelation of the Father, you're going to have to turn to him and worship him as your only hope of salvation, which means to believe what the Quran says about Jesus is to cease being a Muslim, because the Quran denies in one breath these things about Jesus, even though it ascribes titles and attributes to Jesus which affirm it. So they see the Muslim dilemma. Absolutely. Absolutely, brother. And that's that's really where my heart aches, that for my Muslim people, that somehow they have a second set of interpretations when it comes to those clear. Actually, this is very clear who Jesus is. I mean, you cannot really debate it. Precisely, you can. Now, to add to my point, and let me know how I'm doing on time, because there's so much material to cover. We even have to discuss the crucifixion. To further confirm that Jesus is not from the earthly realm, that his origin, his root, is from the very being of God. He's always been an essential aspect of God, and therefore uncreated. To further confirm this, if I'm right that the Quran is suggesting that Jesus comes from God, not from the earth, that his origin is from God, not from the earth, then I would expect to find Jesus returning to the source, right? For example, human beings, because we are from the earth, from Adam, Adam is from dust, we return to the dust, until the last last day until the end of the age, where then death will be destroyed, everyone will be raised, then before God, those who believe in the Lord, go with him forever, those who don't, will be banished from his presence forever. Until then, we who are earthly, we are from the world, 
We were from Adam, who's from dust, go back to dust. That's Ecclesiastes 12.7. Let me just show you that. Ecclesiastes 12.7, this is basically confirming that the judgment that fell on Adam, that because he sinned, he's going to return to the dust, which he came out of, is the fate of all humanity, because we're all sons and daughters of Adam. Ecclesiastes 12.7 says this. Watch this, brother. <clears throat> the dust returns to the earth where it was, meaning our body. And the spirit returns to the God who gave it, meaning that our spirit is now in the hands of God, but he created it. Okay. If Jesus is not from the earthly realm, then I would expect him not to return to the dust. That's not his origin. If he's from God, I'd expect him to return to God. Lo and behold, that's what the Quran confirms. Chapter 4, verse 158 of the Quran. Watch this. God raised him, Jesus, up to himself. God is almighty, all wise. God raised him, Jesus, up to himself. God is almighty, all wise. So let's make the connection. Chapter 4, verse 171 says, Jesus is God's word, which he cast down to Mary. And then 4158 says, God then raised Jesus back to himself. He came down from God as a spirit and then went back to God in the flesh, which he took from Mary. Could the Quran be any clearer that Jesus' origin is God, not creation? Could it be any clearer? Not only that, brother, and it's in the same chapter since our Muslim friends all of a sudden are into context. <laughs> yeah, that's a, it's funny. I don't mean to laugh, but the, the Quran is anything but contextual. It's acontextual. Now, there's another verse that confirms that Jesus went back to God, and we're going to bring out this implication. Now, this is beautiful. Like I said, we can spend here hours and months showing how God, in his goodness, in his providential goodness, in order to get Muslims saved, even allowed the Quran to be written in such a way. He had nothing to do with the Quran, but obviously he permitted its composition, like he permitted Joseph Smith and all these false prophets to arise. And in his infinite wisdom, he had a reason. God, in his goodness, in his providential care for Muslims, allowed these statements of the Quran so that people like you and I, by the grace of God's Spirit, could then use it to show Muslims the truth of who Jesus is, so they could be saved from this falsehood and the wrath to come. Amen. In 355, notice 355. Watch what it says here. Chapter Elimran, the family of Ron, verse 55. When God said again, I will take thee, and Lord willing in a future show, will impact what this Arabic actually means, right? And that actually confirms the death. Amen. And how it confirms the death of Christ. So that's in a future session, if God will. But for now, I will take thee to me. What? I will take thee to me, and will raise thee to me, to myself. Again, the Quran in 355 affirms, God took Jesus out of the earth to himself, because Jesus is not part of the earth. He's not earthly, he's heavenly, he's divine in origin. Now, here's the problem, though. This is what I asked the Muslims. I asked them. According to your theology, where is Allah? Now, it depends on which Muslims you ask, and you know this. You know, you come out of a background more akin to... Salafism, right? That's right. That and was your background? Yes, and, and of course I will tell you that God is on the throne which is above the heavens. Thank you. So the Salafis, the Ashari, the Maturidi, they believe this is all not meant to be literally, right? It's, it's more of a metaphor. Right? So that's the debate among the Muslims. We'll let them debate that. But if you're a Salafi, if the Salafis are listening, they believe that Allah is above the throne and the throne is above the seven heavens. Now, here's my question to you, brothers. If God took Jesus to himself, and the Salafis are right, 
God or Allah, because again, another thing we need to do is speak about how the Salafi Muslims, those who claim to follow, you know, Salaf Asari, right, the first three generations, they claim that Allah does have a body. He has a body, he has hands, there are two right hands, by the way, not a right and left one, because left one is, is bad, it's Satan. He has a shin, he has a torso, he has a face, even though it's unlike anything in creation. That's right. Allah has a body. He has eyes. He has a mouth. He has a head. He has a torso. But any, unlike anything in creation, what, what does that mean exactly? I have no idea. So he's actually a body of some kind. He is an embodied being. Okay, let's go with that. Well, if Allah took Jesus to himself, and Allah's actually located somewhere, because he has a body, and that body has shape, size, and dimension, and occupies space. That means right now Jesus is in a physical body next to God, Allah, above the throne, sharing in God's sovereignty over creation. Because to be above the throne means you're above creation. How can Jesus be there? Amen. And let, me, the and let me add to your fabulous point. The same chapter, chapter 3, verse 45, confirms exactly what you're saying. When the angel, basically, or in this case, plural, angels, talking to Mary and telling her that, basically, oh, Miriam, verily, Allah gives you the glad tiding, good news, of a word, here you go, the word of from him, meaning coming from Allah, who is above the, th- uh, above the throne, above the heavens, and this word becomes incarnate in you, coming out as a, a basically a masculine person. His name is Messiah, Isa, son of Mary, held in honor in this world, and guess what's going to happen later? He is of those near to Allah. How is he going to be near? In spirit? No. In person, in body. You got it. Nearest to Allah. And in fact, Islamically speaking, no one is as near as Allah physically in proximity than Jesus. Because Jesus came down as the word from Allah and went back to Allah. I know that says that the martyrs are with their Lord receiving provision. But with their Lord doesn't mean with their Lord above the throne. They will not be, brother, because the the martyrs, you're absolutely correct about that. They will be in a cage like birds, hanging from the bottom of the throne. According to the Hadith. According to the Hadith, they'll be in the bodies of green birds, getting whatever they want. But Jesus, on the other hand, is with him because it says, Allah took him to himself. I will raise thee to myself. Myself. Where I'm at. Where I'm at, you're going to be. So now here you have the Quran affirming Jesus as the eternal word, the supreme existence, existing as a spirit before he came down to become flesh, and then returning to God from where he came in a flesh body, as flesh. In fact, this is the official position of Ahlul Sunnah wa Jama'ah, meaning the Orthodox Sunni position, because it's based on what they call Musawasa, multiply attested narration. Jesus was taken physically to heaven. He's going to come down physically with even water dripping from his hair. Water yeah. dripping from his hair. He's going to come down on the shoulders of two angels who bring him down to Syria and the minaret, a white minaret. Amen. You know these Amen. Amen. Okay, so that means he's physically there, right? Absolutely, and he's coming back physically. And you know, brother, I mean, this is a deep topic. Uh, uh, can we continue this um, uh, yeah. next time? Because, uh, you know, I, I think we haven't even scratched the surface yet uh, when it comes to that. And uh, we have about... We have about two minutes left. Um, if you want to just uh, c- close your thoughts here and tell people how they can get a hold of you, as always, that will be great, brother. Yeah, I just want to make clear, I'm not using the Quran because it's the Word of God, it's authority. It's authoritative for Muslims. I'm using it to show them 
the implication of what their own source says and bring them to the true gospel, the true Jesus, the true Spirit, with hopes that they'll see <clears throat> the truth in Christ and escape the snares of Islam for their salvation. So I just want to make it clear. And again, to wrap up, the Lord willing, in the future session, we'll talk about the implication of the virgin birth. If Christ is the eternal Word of God, who came down to become flesh, and he returned to God, because that's where he came from, then that means the Muslims are in a dilemma. In one breath, you want to say he's just an apostle, but in another breath, the Quran says he's more than that. He's eternal and therefore divine. So you have to embrace the truth of Christ as the God-man, because that's the position and conclusion that these verses in the Quran force you to, which Amen. means the Quran contradicts itself. And Jesus is born. And so. next time, of course, we'll continue with this. And then there is the other dilemma, Ruhullah, or the Spirit of God. And that's a whole different story. So we will deal with that uh, in due time. So thank you, brother, as always, for joining us. Uh, thank you for everyone who is listening to us. This is Let Us Reason. And we are continuing this fabulous series about Christ in the Quran. Please remember to pray for our dear brother, Sam Shimon. And uh, if the Lord puts you in your heart to connect with him and even support him, please uh, prayerfully consider to do so. This is the kind of ministry that this dear brother does, and uh, you have no idea how much I myself benefited from his teaching and continue to do so. And hopefully all of you will be blessed. Thank you so much for joining us. Until we meet again, have a blessed week. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.